So I want to talk this morning about our true name. This is a word that God gave me just a few weeks ago. So frankly, I'm still working through it in the sense that it is still impacting my own life. So as I'm sharing with you this morning, I have a mirror up in front of me and I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm talking to you. And I pray and hope and trust that it will affect you as profoundly as it's still busy working itself out in me. And a few weeks ago, I was actually in Shanghai in China for a few days and uh, doing some ministry there. And I was alone in my room at night and I was just reading through one of the Psalms. And suddenly this thought came to me out of the blue that Lorenzo, your parents gave you a name But there's another name that you have that is your true name that I gave you, and you must understand what that name is, and you must live the rest of your life according to that name because I gave it to you. And then the Lord, right away, it's one of those messages, one of those prophetic messages that just came right away, and the Holy Spirit said to me, go to Abraham, I want you to look at the life of Abraham. And so I went to Genesis chapter 17, I love it when this happens, by the way, because it's so real, so organic, it's so powerful. And Genesis chapter 17, verses 4 to 6, there's this conversation which God is having with Abraham, and this is uh, very interesting because this is the stage in Abraham's life where he and Sarah have been trying for decades to have kids, but have never been able to have children. And still, to this day, in most cultures in the world, really you are judged successful or not according to whether you can have kids or not. It's unfair, it's unjust, but it works that way. Now, can you imagine six, 7,000 years ago where your wealth was determined by how many kids you had and how much livestock you had, right? So Genesis 17:46, God is speaking to a man who does not yet have children and is not, whose wife is barren and says this to him. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you, it's like he's speaking in the present tense, past present tense, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. On the one hand, Abraham's spirit is trying to deal with this incredible covenant that the perfect God that he worships has just made with him audibly, by the way. That must have been really interesting. His mind is trying to understand that his name has just been changed and he's 99. There's hope for you yet if you want to change your name, (laughs) as long as it's God's name for you. But I think in his heart, he's immediately, emotions are racing. He's like, well, we've been trying for several decades. We've never had kids. Um, How are nations going to come from me? He's not yet understood. Because God doesn't say to him at this point, listen, I'm going to touch Sarah's womb and I'm going to make her fruitful. He's revealing Abraham's true purpose, the reason that he was put on on the face of this earth, which God had determined from a trillion years ago, 
But at the same time, his life purpose is fully attached to his name. And that's my message this morning. Or God's message to you through me, to us. That he has a name for you which he determined from before time and that your name is tied to your purpose. They're two sides of the same coin. You cannot understand your name without understanding and living your purpose and vice versa. Yes, our God, the one we serve, is that loving and that perfect and that sovereign and that intentional that Psalm 139 tells us when he made us in our mother's womb and he fashioned us. Did you know that God made you and not your parents? Please, if you have any self-esteem issues, let them fall to the ground today. Your mother was just the carrier of God's handiwork. You've you've got to let that change your life, truly. It will forever change you and the way you treat your kids and everybody else. Anyway, and so what happens is all of this revelation is all happening at the same time. That is why Abraham was able to say to his dear wife, listen, we're moving. I don't know where we're going. Pack the kids and the cattle, but we're going. Are we coming back to Boston? I don't know. Where are we going? I don't know. It's somewhere over there. What are we going to do when you get there? I don't know. How do you know this? God just told me. Right. That's awesome. Sit down, eat your dinner, shut up, don't talk to me again. Do you understand me? Watch watch your sports show, right? Fully understandable. Oh, by the way, Sarah, I know you're like 98, but you're going to have a kid. Beautiful. That's awesome. I didn't want a kid in my 20s. No, I wanted one when the skin is hanging off me, dragging along the ground because I'm so old. And now with this huge big stomach with a belly button that's going to pop. Beautiful. Who wouldn't want that at 99? That's awesome. Thanks, Abraham. You know what? Don't sit down. There's no dinner for you. Shut up forever and get out of my house right now. You know what I'm saying? Right? No, I know you holy woman would be like, oh, thank you, honey. That's really, that's fantastic. Forget it. He was in the doghouse for weeks afterwards. The, the kid came months later because she didn't let him touch her for ages afterwards. Anyway, we're going too far with this. So, um, this major life-changing event tied to his name. John chapter 1, let's go to the same kind of an experience. Now, this is with the Lord Jesus. The, one is, the first one's with the Father God. This is with the Lord Jesus. John chapter 1, 41 to 42. And this is now Andrew, the, one of Jesus' disciples, who is with his friends. He's walking around town. I don't know, maybe they're hanging out at Starbucks. And, and they hear Jesus speak. And the Holy Spirit gives them understanding that, wait a minute, he's the Messiah, He's the anointed one. He's the Christ. He's the one that we were waiting for. And very excitedly, he goes to find his brother. They're both fishermen. And so it says, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon son of Jonah, he identifies him specifically, you shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. So Simon Peter's first interaction with Christ, Christ completely turns his life the right way around. 
Imagine, his first conversation ever with Jesus. Jesus says, as a man, as a human being, I recognize that your human name and identity is Simon, and I even know who your father is, right? You live in that house, very small villages I've been there in those days. Um, I know where you live, and that's who you are. But who you really are, you're a fisherman, and you and your brother, you fish for fish, but who you really are is a stone that I am going to take and build my father's kingdom with. That's the life-changing announcement. And I'm telling you, the name that my father gave you, which reveals the reason why you were created, and you used to fish for men, uh, for fish, and God used your past experience to teach you how to catch, because you're going to catch people with me now. And you're going to take them, and you're going to bring them into the church, and they are going to become living stones, just like you, Peter. I mean, it's profound. It's gorgeous, isn't it? It's, that's, that's his first interaction. I would imagine the next three years were pretty interesting. Imagine some of the other conversations late at night. Lord, explain to me a little bit more. What did you mean when you said, I'm a stone? Because my friends at school tell me I'm as thick as a brick. And, and is that what you mean? bit of English humor there. That is screamingly funny. Um, no, Peter, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying to you that I'm going to build something eternal with you, with your life. Okay. So each of us has two names, and our names are tied to our purpose. It is our real identity. So look, all of us have driver's license or a passport, social security card, credit cards, whatever it is, passbook, whatever, with our names in it, right? The names that our parents gave us. And think about how many documents, how many test papers at school, go to the doctor's office, sign out the forms. I mean, our whole life is proven, is reflected. We have our security, our identity is tied to our earthly name. We live our lives under the heading, under the shadow, within the confines of our earthly name. When you type in your name on a computer on Google, up it comes and stories about you on Facebook or whatever it is. And we give so much of our life to that, and yet our true name is the name which God wants to build our life upon. And it's a name that only He can give us. This has come to me at a time in my life I wish I'd heard this 20, 30 years ago, but I probably just wasn't ready, but I am now. And I hope that you are too. So let's go back to these two examples. Let's talk a little bit about Abraham again, because now we come nearly uh, 3,000, 4,000 years later. It's in the New Testament. The church has been born. You know, uh, Paul the Apostle is traveling around preaching. He's already done a couple of his missionary journeys, all the stuff. And here in the book of Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 to verse 9, we read first about Abraham. Therefore know that only those who are of faith, us, are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, you and me, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. What? What? Hang on, hang on. I've heard that language before. 
That's the covenant that God the Father made with Abraham when he revealed his, when he gave him a new name. It says that God said to him, in you all the nations are going to be blessed. Now remember in that first scripture, there are three phrases that talk about nations. One of them says that nations are going to come from you. And the other one says that all the nations shall be blessed basically because of you. One is physical. There are literally countries that came through the lineage of Abraham, of Isaac, Isaac through Abraham. But more importantly, there are spiritual nations, so to speak, or there are hundreds of millions of people who serve Jesus today because Abraham stood up on that day and said, Lord, thank you for my new name. Thank you for my calling and my purpose. Sarah, get in here. Let's do this thing. Seriously. And was obedient, believed in faith that although everything about his life, and this is a word for some people this morning, everything about his present situation was in direct opposition to what God said. But because he chose to believe God and obey him and change his life and take that first step of moving to another place, you don't need to move physically to another place, but I'm sure that for some of you, you do need to move spiritually to another place. And where am I going? I don't know, but God has spoken to me. And when I get there, I'll understand. Most times, revelation comes in a situation. You have to be present in a place to receive the revelation or the fulfillment of it. And so here, the apostle is teaching the disciples, is teaching the Gentiles that, listen, the fact that you've come to faith in Christ is because our father Abraham was given a promise by God, and God has fulfilled his promise through Abraham. You are the fruit of that promise. And so I just wanted to make the point that when God changed his name and gave him a purpose, 3,000 years later, people are living in that purpose, the result of that purpose. And then in James chapter 2, verse 9, it says, And when James, Cephas, and John, three of the apostles, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. This is Paul the Apostle speaking about how he, when he went up to Jerusalem and he explained what he and Barnabas were doing at the new church plant in Antioch because the apostles in Jerusalem, there was this core team, the leadership team was there. They'd heard that this stuff was going on and they called Paul to come and explain what was going on. And it says that they, they, they received him. So, here you have James, Cephas, and John as the three main leaders now of this new movement, of this church, which is spreading throughout the Middle East, but it refers to Peter as a pillar. It says James, the stone, Cephas, and John, who seem to be pillars. Isn't that fascinating? Of all of the things, Paul didn't know these guys well at all. And his perception was, when he looked at Peter and listened to him speak and, re, and was sharing his story, he realized that this guy's a stone. Uh, I mean, can you imagine if Peter stopped his conversation and said, listen, I just want to tell you, when I first met our Lord Jesus, he called me a stone. Well, that's interesting, Peter, because I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, you're a pillar in the church. Do you see how that even somebody who didn't know him well could sense and understand by the Holy Spirit that this is not Simon, this is the stone that I'm talking to, right? It's beautiful, isn't it? Okay, so let's talk about your true name. 
I found this baby picture. This is Pastor Tim when he was about nine months old. <laughs> you can imagine, this is Tim's version of saying no. No, I won't, you know. He's such a strong leader. I love him. He's awesome, and he looks great in a diaper. But he probably does too. But your true name, number one, the first thing to understand is that it's given by Jesus. Right? Psalm 139. That whole psalm explains to us that from before time, God knew us. And before we live one of our days, He has seen our whole life. So before anything existed, God already had us, our name, in mind. Listen, if the Bible tells us that God has a name for every single star, and we know through the Hubble telescope, we keep finding out that there are actually billions of galaxies, not just millions. I'm sure we'll discover that there are trillions because God is infinite, so his handiwork is immeasurable, literally. We just live in a time in history where God has granted us the privilege through technology of understanding his handiwork better. All the glory to him. Now, I would argue that if God can give a name to a gaseous body somewhere out in the depths of space, of course he's going to give a name to every single human being who are made in his image, the highest form of his creation, representatives of him, who he loves and sent his son for. Of course he's going to give you a name. You could be sitting there this morning thinking, well, I'm not a born-again Christian yet. I don't know what you're talking about. You have a really strange accent, and why do you dress like that? And I've never heard any of this stuff before, because I'm cool, but I've never heard any of this stuff before, and I don't know if this makes any sense. I, I promise you, God loves you. He proved it by sending his son to die for your sins so that you could enter into a relationship with him, not only to have your sins forgiven and so that you will go to heaven for eternity. That's the easier part. No, no. The, the, the larger purpose is for you to understand who you are and what he's made you to do because God has stuff for you to do which only you can do. By the way, your given name is completely unique. There's only one of you. And your wife either thought, thank God, or dear me. But there's only one of you, right? Yes, God is that sovereign. He, listen, if he can make a trillion stars, there's only seven billion people. This is easy work for him to make seven billion unique individuals. It's a description. Your name will describe, and I'm going to show you how it works in a few minutes. Your name describes what it is that God has called you to do. And the two are so completely intertwined, you can't really separate them. They're so meshed together. But the point I want to make here is that when you understand really what your name is, your God-given name, listen, it changes everything about your life. Because you know what happens is that the minute that you say, my name is, and God reveals it to you, you have now just given God permission to hold you accountable for responding to that name more than your earthly name. The most frustrating thing about, one of the most frustrating things about pets with me, and I'm only talking about dogs, nobody should ever have a cat as a pet, <laughs> is when you call the silly thing and he doesn't come. 
And just because of the laws in our country, you can't throw him out of the window. Not that I wanted to. I'm just saying you can't. In case you do, I know who you are. But it's, or or even worse, the dog knows his name and you don't, come Johnny, come Johnny, come Johnny. (laughs) Runs under the couch. He's like, Johnny, get over here now. Honey, can you call the dog, please? And, you know, friends, sometimes as Christians, I think we like that. We don't know what our name is, and God is calling us, and we have a sense in us. This is for someone this morning, maybe a few people. We have a sense in us that somebody's calling us. I feel like I have to do something for God, but I don't really know what it is. And you know what the confusion is? Is that you don't know your name yet. Because when you know your name and God calls it, you respond right away, right? When you understand what it is that God has given you to do, and you present it with an opportunity, well, you just fall into it automatically. Nobody even has to ask you, because you understand, you have that clarity. And so it affects everything about you, your family, your friends, your job, everything. And what it does is that it it introduces new realities into your life. Don't you like that picture? If you don't like that picture, I don't like you. But anyway, um, it's such... When I saw this picture, I was laughing so much. Oh, my word, it's so beautiful. Um, and everything is new about you. So when you are born again, the Bible says when you are spiritually reborn that you literally are made a new creation. I think we really have to understand this, my friends, that family, listen, it's not that you are an improved version and you are a good version of what you were before you met Jesus. No, you are a new creation. The Bible clearly teaches us that outside of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, where you have given him control of your life, you are spiritually dead. Mentally, you're alive. Your soul is alive. Your heart is alive. Your body is alive, but your spirit is dead. And the Bible states that if you are not born again, you cannot understand spiritual things. That's why I encourage you, when your unsaved friends, or as I prefer to say, your not yet saved friends, say things to you like, well, you know, if God is so loving, why did he let those three people get killed? It's pointless to get into a debate. For people who are not spiritually alive, who, don't, who cannot discern spiritual things, because that's a spiritual question. They're trying to understand a spiritual truth with, a, with their mind or with their heart. It's never going to work, right? When I was unsaved, I used to do that. Well, if God is so loving, why did he allow the Jews to be, the, to be slaughtered in World War II? I mean, isn't he their God? It's only once you are born again. And the Bible says that you are a new creation. You have new life. You become, it says that you, he, Jesus translates you out of the kingdom of darkness, very intentional language. He takes you out of the kingdom of darkness and the rule of Satan, and it says that he places you into his kingdom of light. Now you're in light. Well, of course, you can see everything. In darkness, you're stumbling around, you're hitting your knee, you don't know what's going on. Try it, it's fun. Not really, it's terrible. And in light, the, opposite, the complete opposite is true. You see everything clearly now, right? And so please um, receive this uh, as from the Lord because it's so important that uh, suddenly when I was born again, you know, I, I remember I used to, 
I used to go to discos a lot, you know, when I was unsaved. I was a very good dancer. I think I told you I had a tight lemon sweater and white pants, pointy cream shoes, and used to do the jig. And never got drunk, never slept around. Dancing was my thing. And then I'd come home late at night and get in my bed, and I had my Catholic New Testament and Psalms, and, and I'd read a chapter, and, and I couldn't go to sleep. I was fearful that I might die in my sleep, and I couldn't go to sleep unless I'd read a chapter. Do you know, I could never understand anything, and it frustrated the heck out of me that the next morning I couldn't remember anything I'd read. Well, of course, the Word of God is a spiritual thing. It feeds your spirit, not just your mind. Do you know that the day that I was born again, this is a true story, the night that I was saved and my eyes were opened, I went home and I read for three hours. And it was like God was in the room speaking to me and I remembered everything the next morning. And I have that memory because I went back to college and I tried to repeat everything to all of my very unsaved classmates who just got really irritated with me because I'm like, do you know it says in the book of John and now I understand that what it really means is that it's blue, it's not really green and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> art, art school, <laughs> true story. Man, I hope they don't put this video up, but I hope they do. Anyway, so um, it's, it changes absolutely everything about you. And there's, there's this new reality that your nature begins to change as well. Well, you've got to ask yourself, why have I been given a new life, and why do I have a new nature? It's not a new nature. It's your true nature, which was always there, but could never be expressed. Because the Bible says that we are spirit clothed with flesh and bone. We are not first flesh and bone containing spirit. God is spirit, the Bible says. We are made in His image. The difference between us and animals and everything else is that nothing else has the breath of God breathed into them. When somebody who loves trees, I love trees, I take pictures of trees all the time, but I don't talk to them because they literally can't speak back to me. If they did, I'd fall over dead in such shock. Actually, I'd make a ton of money from it first, but um, <laughs> they are inanimate objects. Mother Earth doesn't have a spirit. It is inanimate. Adam is the only creation that God made, that he himself breathed his spirit into and gave life to Adam. And then out of Adam, he took the servant. I mean, the woman. Now, out of Adam, come on, folks, help me here. Testing, testing. Out of Adam, he took somebody like Adam. She has his spirit. By the way, can I just say this? It's completely got nothing to do with the message, but it's, I'm so proud of this revelation. You know, I don't know how many times I've been asked, why didn't, by feminists, uh, and I'm partly feminist, and why, why, in a good sense, why didn't God make Eve separate to Adam, right? I mean, we want our own body with our own breathing. And my answer is something like this. No, no, it's way more spectacular that God made man and woman out of the same lump of clay. From there, we get the concept of marriage. He could say to them, go forth and multiply because you are actually really one anyway. We, found our, we find our true unity in the fact that God made us out of the same piece of dirt. 
What gives us equally our value is that he breathed the same spirit into Adam as he did into the woman. Thank God that he didn't do two separate things. Anyway, whatever. It's got nothing to do with anything. That's for free of a cup of coffee. God bless you. If you repeat it, please be accurate. So what we... I love this church so much. So what we find is that there's a reason for the new life. There's a reason for the new nature. And suddenly we, we discover that real profound change begins to happen. You know, it's not just that I don't do the same sins anymore. I think differently. I feel differently because I am different. No, that's not true. I am true. I'm, be, I'm finally able to be the person that God actually made me in my mother's womb because I'm first spirit. By the way, that's a great reason even just to give your life to Jesus. I say to people, if you want to find yourself, give your life to Christ. When the scripture says that my identity is hidden with God in Christ, this is partly what he's saying, is that the real me because I'm made in his image and he made me. The real me is always in Jesus. People who never surrender their lives to Christ will always live a life of frustration and will always try to be somebody else. You can never be yourself until you've met Jesus as your personal Savior. It's just true. So if we ask the, the question, um, how do we find this new name, right? This new character, this new life, this, this true stuff that you're talking about. Well, thank God that in the scriptures we've looked at, God gives us the clue. Because this needs to be practical. This can't just be an encouragement. It's got to be something we can live out. And it is. Now, in both conversations, if you read those verses again, which I pray you will later on, take time to work through this, please. It's too important it's vitally, it's crucial, it's vitally important. And so in both cases, God says to Abraham and to Peter, Cephas, by the way, Saul became Paul. Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord for a whole night while he was dreaming. And when he woke up, he was Israel. And out of Israel came what we now know as the church, the lineage of Christ our Savior out of who came the church. First came the name change after an encounter with God. This is the pattern. God speaks to me. He tells me who I really am. He tells me what he's really made me to do, and I go and do that thing, and my name ends up in Scripture, in God's book of life. And so what we find is, this is, in, in both cases, is that God says to each of them, you will. You will go and do. You will go and be. Abraham, you will be the father of many nations, right? It's like Jesus saying to Peter, you're a stone now. Peter, you're part of me. Do you remember that very famous, famous interaction that Peter has with Jesus? It's a few days. They're on their way to Jerusalem because Jesus knows that he has to go and be slaughtered and pay the price for our sins. And so he wants to be sure that the disciples really understand who he is because in a few days' time, he's going to be naked on the cross and they're all going to leave him and they're going to run away. And he doesn't want him to be lost. And so he wants to make sure that they understand when they see him and then when he's raised from the dead, 
three days later, and he comes back and talks to them. He wants to be sure that they connect all of these dots and go, oh, you really are the son of God. Because he knows now already that they are going to be the people who are going to continue the work that he started. And so he tests them. He says, um, guys, who do people say that I am? Oh, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Come back. Some say, oh, that's interesting. And then it's, it was like a bit of a lead-in, right? Because his real question was, well, who do you say that I am? You know me. You've been with me for three years. And there's this kind of awkward silence. They look around. Nobody wants to be wrong. And Peter puts up his hand, and he says, I know exactly who you are. You're the son of the living God. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. Jesus says, well done, Peter. You're right. You can imagine, whoa, the penny drops for all of them, right? Probably the two brothers, the sons of thunder, a little bit jealous of Peter. Dang it, I knew I should have said that. <laughs> but there's that, that, this wonderful, glorious man, the Holy Spirit's hovering over them, the Father's present, right? Whole Trinity, it's gorgeous. And then Jesus says, you know, Peter, he looks over right at him in his eyes, he says, Peter, you didn't get this revelation on your own. My heavenly Father gave you this revelation. He spoke to you and you heard him. And I can imagine if we can extrapolate this conversation, it's almost like Jesus, because Jesus says to him, you are right, you are Cephas, stone, and on this rock, different word, in the Greek, it's a whole different word as he points to himself, you are stone, and on this rock, I will build my church. Right? I used to be Catholic. I got saved when I was about 20, and I, like probably many of you who were Catholics or maybe, was taught incorrectly that the Bible teaches that, Jesus, uh, that Peter was the first, you know, uh, the first uh, amongst the apostles and the first pope and that the church was established upon him. I'm sorry, friends, if you understand anything about the Bible, you, it's easy to see that God would never build a supernatural entity on the shoulders of a sinful man. The church can only be built. It's a spiritual thing. It can only be built on the shoulders of the one true sinless man. His name is Jesus Christ. And it's his church. We are his body. And so he says, you are stone, and on this rock, I will build my church. And I can imagine Jesus in a separate conversation saying to Peter, Peter, do you know why you put up your hand? It's because, do you remember three years ago when we were talking down by the seaside when your brother introduced you to me? What did I tell you? Oh, you told me that my name is Stone. And you can see Peter like, oh, okay, the lights are going on. Christ is the chief cornerstone. It's, it's all building analogies, right? I'm a stone, rock. We made the same spiritual DNA. Peter understood Jesus. The father couldn't trust Peter with that revelation because he knew that just a few months later, Peter was going to stand up on the day of Pentecost, preach the gospel, and 3,000 people would get saved. And the Bible says that when you are saved, you become a living stone in the church in God's building. It's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, God is so intentional. And so there are three things. This is how you can find out what your God-given name is. Look back to the day that you were saved and look at your life since then and look at how you've changed inside. 
How has your character changed? Because you know what you'll find when you look back is that the true you began to emerge the day, the day that you were born again. So I was a very angry person, believe it or not. And the day I was saved, I was delivered of a spirit of anger. I've never lost my temper. I've never really gotten angry uh, ever again, you know. And guess what? I'm a real softie. I'm an artist. What can I tell you? I cry with every animated movie that I see. And I've been married 28, nearly 29 years, and to this day my wife still says to me, lovey, they aren't even real characters. <laughs> I'm like, are you telling me that Wally isn't real? <laughs> Who's seen Wally? I mean, listen, dudes, I'm not even joking. I'm a graphic designer in training. I love art and graphics. When they're going twirly-whirling through space and he's using the fire extinguisher to keep up with Eva, right? I mean, isn't that the single most romantic scene you've ever seen in a movie? Human beings being romantic, blah, that happens every day. Animated characters in space with a fire extinguisher doing twirly-whirlies in perfect time to the music. How can you not weep like a baby? What's wrong with you? Did you see the movie Up with the little old guy with a square jaw? I know somebody who looks like that. How can you not bawl your eyes out? Especially those of you like me whose grandfathers died when you were one year old and you've never had grandfathers, right? Wow. I think I just healed myself there. Anyway, so... Um, <laughs> How do you change? And you see who you really are. The second thing is calling. One is inside, the other is outside. How have you changed in terms of the things that you do, right? And then the third thing is lifestyle. So you find once you become a Christian, your interests change, or what I prefer to call your instinct. Suddenly, you're wanting to help poor people, or you want to go on a missions trip, or you're giving money to the church. And your unsaved in the dark people are like, are you crazy? Those people are stealing your time and your money. But the light people are like, oh, that's wonderful. Welcome to the family, right? And you find in the things that you do, you find your name. In who you've become, you find your name. I'll give you a real-life example. Last night, after the second service, I preached the message. I'm sitting down there. And a lady comes to speak to me, and she's crying. And she says, I want to tell you that this week, this past week, I said to my husband, her name is Denise, his name is Paul, he looks like he's going to kill you. He looks like, you know, he's a body bouncer, body bouncer kind of thing. Well built, looks a bit rough. And he came over, and I thought, oh, uh, she came to speak to me, dude. I didn't say, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I really did. I was like, whoa, you know, because he's just standing and looking at me. He didn't introduce himself. But he's got a shirt from the church. I'm like, thank God, I think he might be a Christian, but this is Waters Church, so I don't know. No, I'm kidding. So I'm, I'm totally joking. Sorry, Shane. So anyway, um, she says to me, my name is Denise. It comes from Dionysus, the, the, and the Greek root of it. And she's crying. She says, I've always hated my name for all sorts of reasons. It's layered. There's a long history. And she says, Lorenzo, this week, literally this past week, I just, and she points to her husband, and she says, Paul, didn't I just tell you the other day that I'm going to go and change my name because I can't live with it anymore? And then you can't, God sends you here, and you know, I know what my true name is. My true name is encourager. That's what I've done for all the years that I've been saved. And then Paul speaks up with this beautiful, soft voice, gives me a huge hug, 
And he's, <laughs> and he's like, my name is Helper. I'm like, thank God, I thought it was killer, but I'm glad that it's helper. <laughs> you know, so then I wake up this morning, I have my quiet time, I go onto Facebook to see if my wife has left me any public love, and thank you for understanding that, and then I see that there's a message, and it's them, and they've written a very beautiful comment under a really great picture of me saying, I'm just half kidding, but saying, you know, thank you for the word last night, Helper and encourager. Now listen, if you were there last night and the presence of God was all around us and we ended up having a great conversation, because you know something, I stepped off the pulpit, this is the gospel truth, this is the honest truth, and I, I was like, Lord, I'm so sorry. I don't think that message did anything for anybody. I think these people are like, they cannot have this guy come back. Also, I was wearing flip-flops. By the way, first time anybody's ever preached in flip-flops in this church, thank you. I beat Tim at something. Anyway, and so, and, you know, what, seriously. And I'm like, Lord, I'm so sorry. I, maybe I didn't communicate. And then they came across. And if it was just for them, how important? Because they're already referring to themselves in those names. Now, listen, you can't go down to the police station and say, hello, I'm encourager. I'm here to pick up my car, because they'll lock you up. <laughs> Darkness doesn't understand light. But you can say that to one another because it's important to speak who you are because when you do, you release your God-given nature and purpose. And so let me close with this. <laughs> so great, isn't it? Let me close with this. Um, I want to encourage you, if you can look back, this isn't, God does not ever hide truth from his children. When the Bible says that if you ask God for wisdom, he shall, he will give it to you, right? No question. He doesn't play games with us. Listen, the Father wants us as soon as possible to understand what our name is and what he made us to do so we can just get on with it and he can really use us. And so what I want to encourage you to do is if you know your name or as you go home and think about this over the next few, pray and ask the Lord fast if you have to. And when it comes, speak to yourself. Call yourself that name, right? And what I've done is once I worked mine out, I said to my wife and my two kids, I want you every once in a while. They thought I was a little bit wacky, but once I explained it from the scripture, they're like, oh, okay, thank God, you're not just a lunatic again. And... You know, because autistic people can be a little bit... Whew. So anyway, it hasn't happened for at least three days. But I, you know, I said to them, please, just with you, because I can share this with you, it's very personal right now, but please will you call me this, right? Both my kids were like, okay, <laughs> never in public, but okay. And my wife was sure I, I, would, I would be honored to do that. Her name is Song, which explains why she's a world-class worship leader, songwriter, etc., etc., because her whole life is about giving worship to God, and she is a song, and she sings literally all the time, even when I'm trying to sleep sometimes, which is always fun. That was a lie, which I just told in church. It's horrible when she does that, but I can't tell her because she's my wife, but hopefully she'll watch this video and she can finally find out that that annoys me. <laughs> Love you, honey. <laughs> so, uh, my, my, my name, do you want to know what my name is? My name is Voice, not just because I talk a lot. 
When I was saved nine months, the first time I heard God's audible voice, I knew very, very little, brand new Christian, but I was completely on fire, little church, storefront, maybe 40 people, mostly older folk. We worshiping away. It was a Sunday night. I'll never forget this. And I hear this voice with authority but love say to me, you will be my voice all over the world, like this. And I remember, I'm a brand new Christian, I'm 20 years old, I remember I opened my eyes and I turned around to look at who was talking to me, and everybody else was just worshiping, and suddenly, I, I think my spirit understood, oh, that was God, God just spoke to me. In my mind, I had no understanding of what that actually meant. So just five weeks ago, I was in Shanghai, as I mentioned to you, and God, in a quiet time, reminded me, said to me, Lorenzo, you have now literally been around the world, and you have shared the gospel on every continent on earth and a lot of, uh, you know, big cities. And I say that just to make the point that I'm living proof of the fact that God gave me my name 33 years ago. I didn't understand then that that was actually my name, but I did have an inkling that that would be my purpose. And that's why, after 10 years, I left graphic design to go into the ministry because I want to speak and tell people about Jesus Christ and His kingdom because you know what? That's always what I was designed to do. And it's no different for every single person sitting in this room who knows Jesus. And if you don't, find somebody in this church who can pray with you and lead you to Christ Find your name and step into your purpose. Amen. Yeah.